Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Here's what the Word of God has to say. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, cunning, by craftiness of dis, um, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when someone goes to school to learn and to study, the ultimate goal is, is not just to learn, not just to accumulate knowledge, but rather to, to learn, to, to, to develop a, a, a skill that will lead to a career that will lead to a job that will lead to something that they can do for themselves if you whether that means you're going to to learn a trade whether that means you're going to to college to to study in a particular career path all of those things those pursuits of education or, or skill training are not in and of themselves the goal it is not just the goal to go to school. It is not just the goal to acquire a skill. The goal is to acquire a skill, to, to develop some credentials so that you can go then and do what you had learned about during the training. Training for a job or studying for a career path are worthy endeavors and have a sense of anticipation about them, about what is to come after the training and after the preparation. That's good. That's right. However, if your goal is only to train but never do, if your goal is to learn skills but never to employ those skills, then your learning, your training is a worthless or a purposeless endeavor. Today we talk about the ministry of the church. Now when I use that word ministry, because we're evangelicals, we are deeply, it is deeply ingrained in us to think always outward focus. So ministry is what we do for and to and with others outside the church. And that's certainly right and, and not inappropriate to say, but, but ministry, the word ministry, it has in its sense the work, the, the tasking, the, the, uh, the endeavor that we do. And so when I use ministry today, what I mean is the inside the context of the church, what is it that we are? Our first what is our first task amongst one another and I want to make the, the case this morning that our first task amongst each other our first ministry is for the maturing and the development of the Saints to do the work 
If we do not mature, if we do not develop, if we do not teach well, then all the other things like ministry beyond the walls of the church, I don't think can happen and cannot happen well. We live in a consumer-focused culture where the mantra of our world is the customer is always right and that everything ought to be focused on the pleasure, the, the perceived desires, the want of the consumer. And we would fool ourselves to think that, that that mindset, that attitude has not found its way into the thinking of church where when we come to church, oftentimes what we're thinking is like a consumer. How can I consume something? How can I receive something? Is it good for me? I don't think that fits well with a biblical understanding of how the church is to function. We're not to be consumer focused. We are to be developmentally focused. The, the, the hope, the desire, the, 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 the goal for the church is not that when you leave here you have been well entertained or well satisfied in that sense, but rather have you been well trained? Have you been well prepared for what God has called you to and led you to? A ministry is something that serves as an agency, an instrument, a means. And the work, of, the work and ministry of the church is foundationally to equip the saints and mature the saints for the faithful service of our Lord. So that's the, that's the point this morning. That's the sermon in a nutshell. And, and here are the ways that I think we are called to do that. The first is that we are called to equip. And Paul begins with that list of offices within the church, and he says their primary goal, their singular goal is to equip the saints. And as they equip the saints, second thing is that the saints must, by definition, be maturing. Be maturing spiritually and be maturing doctrinally so that we as a, as a body and as individuals can stand up to all the things that are attacking and manipulating the church that we might stand up for the glory of God on his truth. And then lastly, there ought to be a testimony, a continual testimony until Jesus comes back that we are growing into Christ. So let's begin with this idea of equipping. And I'll, I'll draw your attention right back to verse 11 where, where Paul gives these, these, um, these offices within the church. And he says in verse 11, he says that he gave, that is God gave to the church. He gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the, the shepherds and teachers, put those together. So the shepherds and teachers. And he says that he gave them, at, in verse 12, for the, for the purpose of equipping. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. So when we think about the work of equipping, a couple of things here. First and foremost, the work of those who lead the church, those who've been called to be the, the apostles and the prophets and the pastor teachers and the evangelists, those first calling is to equip the saints. We understand by, by just natural common knowledge that, that children need parents, not just to make sure that they're fed and clothed, but to train them, to teach them to mature them. We understand by common knowledge that athletes need coaches and that uh, students need teachers. And what, what Paul is saying here is that saints need those who will uh, equip them. In fact, the word that he uses here in verse 12 that means, that is translated equip, means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. To make adequate or, or furnish completely to cause to be full 
fully qualified. In other words, the equipping process here is that the saints would be equipped and, and adequately fully qualified to do the work that they've been called to do. The work of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and shepherds, and teachers are, 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 are unique but all are focused on the singular purpose of training and equipping the saints. The focus of these offices is primarily toward the saints in the church. Unfortunately, it is sometimes falsely believed that the saints are only spectators to the work of the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and the, the pastors. I was once leading a, a small group of adults, and we were talking about the expectation of members of the church, and, and, and I was really pressing to, to encourage these, these adults to, to begin to take up the work of ministry and to begin to do the ministry themselves. And in this small group, that was a, somewhat of a new concept. They had never really been talked, they never talked about or thought about their role and their participation in the work of the church and one of the ladies in that group who who would who would uh, who would mature the Lord would mature her and she would become a, a faithful servant of the church but but in that meeting one of the ladies in the church she she listened very intently to what I was saying and, and toward the end of our time together she she looked at me and she said it sounds like what you're trying to do is to get us to do your job and I thought you know if if your idea is that the saints of the church, the members of the church are spectators to the work of the leaders, then that's exactly what it sounded like. Because all of her life, what she understood church to mean is that you come and watch somebody else do the work of ministry. That's not the biblical understanding of the church, dear friends. The biblical understanding of the church is that you do the work of ministry and the leaders of the church equip you, prepare you fully to be adequately prepared for the work that you've been called the primary responsibility of those of these offices is to is to see the task of preparing the saints for the work of the gospel as their primary calling we are called to equip and to um, to train and then therefore to provide for equipping can mean learning and receiving knowledge it can also have the sense of demonstrating how to do the task it's certainly nice when somebody does something for you. It's better when they teach you how to do it. Now, most of us probably have a story in our own life of somebody in our family, maybe a, a grandparent or, or, or a parent, who had a skill that was greatly cherished, that was greatly revered, but we, it was never passed down. Maybe you enjoyed it when they did it. My grandmother had some cakes that she made every Christmas. And they were those so unique cakes that my grandmother made, nobody knows how to make them anymore. We enjoyed them when they were happening, but when my grandmother died, they ceased to exist because nobody ever bothered to learn how to make those cakes. Some of you have parents or grandparents that had a skill. Maybe they can make something or do something, and oh, you enjoyed it while they were able to do it, but, but nobody ever took the time, or maybe they never offered to teach how to do that Thing or uh, that work uh, yourself. If the weight of the church's work is to rest on the saints, 
then it is paramount to the health and well-being of the church that the saints know how and have all they need to do the work they've been called to do. A coach trains and outfits his team with what they need to play the game. A parent teaches and trains their child, but also makes sure they have all the things and resources they need to develop. A teacher presents the, the, the lesson and, and, and points their students to, to good books and provides enriching experiences so that they can, can understand more deeply the, the content in which they're being taught. I want to be very specific here. As a Christian, as a saint, you are not called to be a student only. Is it good to learn? The answer to that is yes. Is it good to grow and develop? Well, my next point will be you need to be doing that for the rest of your life until Jesus calls us home. But friends, some of us have gotten stuck some of us have, have, have bought into the idea that our calling is just to learn but to never do. Your learning, your developing, your studying must be in view of equipping to do what you've been called to do. The leaders of the church, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and the preachers, all of that labor is to, yes, equip, to train, and to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. No Christian is called to be a student only. No Christian is saved so that they can only receive and to never give. You were saved to serve the Lord. You were redeemed to glorify God. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors are not called to do the work for the saints, but to provide for the saints to do the work that they have been called to do. To train, to provide for. And, and yes, I think there's an element here to lead. Development, maturity, and growth do not happen without leadership. It is possible to get the information taught in schools without going to schools. That's, in fact, it's more possible today than it ever has been before. You can, you can download and watch and listen to uh, lectures online without having to take the actual course. You can buy the textbooks that are taught in school and read the textbooks and never have to take the course. My point is, it is possible for you to get all the knowledge you need, to receive all the, the information you need without having to go to class, without having to, to pay the tuition, without having to, to, go, to, to go to college or to, or to high school or anything else. It is possible, dear friends, if you want to get that information without going to school. But why then do we continue to go to school? Because even though it's possible to get that information, and, and it's available, I mean, right now, you go home from church today, you can Google and, and you can search, and, and, and a lot of this resource is free. Why are we not all brilliant people with all kinds of PhD-level knowledge without having gotten the college degree? Well, the reason is because one of the integral parts of learning is the leadership of the professor in the class. The, the, the professor in the class, the teacher in the classroom says this is the standard and here's the test to prove that you know the standard. The leadership in the class is the teacher going, I'm teaching the lesson and then I'm going to come behind and make sure you actually were paying attention and listening. Listen, I've got books on my, I've got more books in my library than I'll ever have time to read for the rest of my life. And I do that, I have that because I, I, I get these books with all kinds of aspirational intention. 
Oh, I would love to read all of them. My, my dream is just to have time to read and to soak in all that knowledge. But the, frankly, dear friends, unless there was the, the, the leadership of a, a professor saying, you must read, you have to read, I'm coming to check up that you read, some of those books, when I breathe my last, will still be unread. The reality of it is, dear friends, we need leadership. Equipping requires not just the, the training and not, it requires not just the teaching, but it also requires leading. Paul is clear in verse 11 that God gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and pastors to the church. Giving to the church was a gift of grace. The leaders of the church are given for the blessing of the church. The, the leadership and, uh, of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors is always focused on the development of the saints to become mature believers. And for that to happen... Those persons and those leaderships must be faithful to lead, to draw the church, to point the church, to give an example to the church, to make the expectation of the church that we're growing in the knowledge and the understanding of the Word of God. The ministry of the church first is the equipping that comes from the leadership that God gave the church. And when we think now to the saints, what is your role in this? It is that there ought to be a testimony in all of our lives of maturing. And I, I see this in two ways, spiritual maturity and doctrinal maturity. Look with me in verse 13 and 14. So verse 12 talks about the, the, the leaders equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Verse 13, he says, until we all, notice that word all, so not the Sunday school teachers, not the deacons, but all. Who's included in all? You are included in the all. So until all, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the, uh, to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Spiritual maturity. So in verse 13 and 14, Paul makes two references to physical maturity. He talks about mature manhood, which the literal translation there means full-grown man. So just think adulthood, so growing up to be an adult. In verse 14, he, he continues that and he says, no longer being children tossed to and fro. The ministry of the church is to mature new believers to become mature believers to mature babes in Christ, to be adult disciples in Christ. Now, there's an undeniable, universal fact that babies are cute. Aren't they cute? Who doesn't love a baby? We love everything about babies. But babies are, are funny things. They drool on themselves. They're not potty trained. They have no decorum about when it's appropriate to be loud and not. Whenever they're hungry, they don't care who's around. They just start screaming and demanding that they be fed. They're, they're kind of self-centered in that sense, aren't they? They'll spit up on you. They do all kinds of things that, that maybe are not pleasant, and yet all those things, we look at a baby, even when they're drooling and spitting up and crying, and we, we still say they are precious. Oh, who doesn't love a baby. 
However, if a teenager behaved like a baby, we probably would not be as gracious. Amen? Drooling on themselves, not being potty trained, screaming whenever they're hungry. Now, some of them still do that, but we don't necessarily recognize that as a good thing. If an adult were to behave like a baby, we would say of that person, there's something mentally diminished about them or something very much wrong about them. Listen to me carefully here. It is okay. It is okay to be immature in the faith. It's okay. But it's not okay to remain immature in the faith. Somebody say amen to that. Listen, if you just got saved last week, it's okay for you not to know everything about the Bible. If you got saved recently, it's okay for you not to understand the deep things of doctrine and Scripture. It's okay. Just like it's okay for a baby to drool on themselves, it's okay if you're new in the faith to be immature in the faith. But it's not okay for you to remain that way. It is not okay for you to be in church 20, 30, 40 years and not be growing in spiritual maturity. It is not okay for years to pass after you've come to salvation and not be growing in spiritual maturity. It's okay to start off immature. It's not okay to stay immature. It's okay to be a babe in Christ, but it's not okay to remain a babe in Christ. The ministry of the church is to mature the saints. If the saints are not maturing in their spiritual maturity, something is amiss in the church. And Paul says we're not only to grow just as a, to, to adulthood, that spiritual maturity, but he also makes very specific, we're to grow in, spirit, in doctrinal maturity. Look at what he says. Verse 14, and then uh, in verse um, in verse 14, he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul specifically references in verse 14 doctrinal maturity. And he uses the illustration of children being tossed about by waves and carried about by the wind. Children are easily tricked and deceived. Children are easily enticed. You need to watch commercials with little children every now and then. They want everything that's presented. It's why our legal system says that children cannot enter into binding relationships and binding contracts. It's not fair. It's not equal. They would be easily deceived, easily um, uh, defrauded. Three areas of doctrinal maturity. We need to have a solid foundation of the truth. We need to recognize what is not true, and we need to be able to defend the, the, the truth in the faith. A solid foundation of truth means that you, are a, you have a solid understanding of biblical truth. You understand the basic doctrines of faith. Your faith is built on these doctrines and not on opinion or speculation and that you are continually growing in your understanding of these truths. Now, I think there are probably some of you here, maybe some of you who've been saved for a long time and you're thinking, I, I don't know how to do that. It's not rocket science, friends. Be faithful to the worship and preaching ministry of the church. Be faithful to the teaching ministry of the church at Sunday school. Be faithful in your personal private Bible study. You do those things, you'll grow in doctrinal maturity. 
You'll grow in the understanding of truth. You must have a solid foundation of truth. And therefore, you must know what is true. Knowing what is true allows you to recognize what is not. Verse 14 is a recognition that the father of lies, that is Satan, is actively working to deceive. He he references human cunning. In other words, by craftiness and deceitful schemes to try to lure you away from the truth. Dear friends, it's out there constantly. Those who are teaching and preaching, some of them claiming to be gospel preachers, some of them just claiming to be spiritual leaders, but them lying and and telling things that are not biblically founded. And the truth of it is, there are a lot of Christians who have been in the church a long time, but have not been maturing in doctrinal maturity, and they can't tell the difference between a lie and the truth. Grow in doctrinal maturity that you might be, have a solid foundation of the truth and then therefore be able to recognize when lies are presented. And knowing what is true and recognizing what is not true enables you then to defend the faith. Defending the faith means to confront the lies, calling the falsehoods out, articulating how these lies do not agree with the Bible and, point, and, and, and pointing the confused to what is true. It is not okay, neither is it healthy or safe to not mature in doctrinal understanding. Until Jesus comes back, there will be those who are actively working to confuse and to lead astray the church. A church that's not growing in doctrinal maturity is a church that is susceptible to being tossed here and there, carried away by every wind of human cunning and false doctrine. For the blessing of the church and your own soul safety, all of you must be maturing in your understanding of doctrine. Now, one other thing here, and that is just this, there ought to be a testimony of growth. And and, and Paul gives some specifics in how that growth is to work in the context of the church. And the first thing he says is that in verse 15, we are to grow into Christ. And so look what he says in verse 15. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There's a big $5 word here that probably most of us don't use every day in common speech. The word is sanctification. The work of sanctification is the work of God making us more like Christ every day, constantly, continually until Jesus comes back. Paul does not present this as an, opinion, as an option or even as an ideal that we ought to strive for. Paul presents this as a mandate, as an expectation of those who are saved in Jesus. We are to grow up in every way into him. This is what believers do. It is a sign of life that is growth. Those who are alive in Christ are growing into Christ. The sign of salvation is growing in Christ. Or as the $5 theological word would be, the sign of salvation is continual sanctification in our lives. This work begins at salvation and it will be complete when Jesus returns, but it will be continually happening until Jesus comes back. We are to grow in Christ. 
by growing in the knowledge of God's Word, by growing in personal obedience and, 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 and holiness, by growing in sacrificial surrender to God's calling. The desire to grow in Christ is the heart of all who have been redeemed by Jesus. Your continual testimony must include a testimony of growing into Christ. Now, this is, a, this is a place where we need to rightly judge ourselves. Because a sign of life, in other words, a sign of true conversion, is that you're growing. You're growing into Christ. There may be seasons where that's more pronounced than others, but there must never be a season where that's not happening. Are you growing in Christ? If you are growing in Christ and the church as a body is growing in Christ, then Paul says the, the byproduct of that is that we will also grow as the body. The first part of verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow. The church is the, uh, the church um, is, the, is the idea, the, the concept here in verse 16. As individual Christians grow in Christ, they also grow as a body of Christ. Now this is where we think about our relationship to one another. Do you want the church to do well? Then you must do well in growing in Christ. You want the church to be spirit-filled? Then you must be spirit-filled. You want the church to be obedient to God's call? Then you must be obedient to God's call. And as we as individuals mature, as we as individuals in Christ grow and are sanctified, then so will the church grow as a body of Christ. Church is the body of Christ. Each saint as part of the body has a part to play that is needed and vital to the working and the health of the church. If the, the body parts are not healthy, then neither is the whole body. Our culture has a very strong individualistic element to it. We like to think about doing it myself. In fact, one of the great classic standard songs of a previous era is, I'll do it my way. That resonates with us, doesn't it? Not with a part of us that's been redeemed by Jesus. That, represents, that re resonates with our flesh because we want to do it our way. The church of the redeemed is not called to be a collective or a collection of individuals. The church of the redeemed is called to be a body working together under the lordship of Jesus. And for the ministry of the church to, be, to function and be effective, each part of the body must function well. And it's one other thing I want you to see here. Not only are we to grow into Christ, and as we grow into Christ, will the body of Christ grow. But Paul also says that as the body of Christ grows, so will we grow in love. Look at the very last bit there, verse 16. It says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The byproduct of a church growing into Christ and as a body is that it will be built up in love. Jesus said that by this all people will know that you are my disciples. That if you love, that, 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 you're, that for your love for one another. The church reflects the love of Christ towards one another and to the world. Now, 
we understand, we know that, we understand this, but often struggle to understand how we are to accomplish this. How are we to accomplish loving one another and, being our, and having as our love a testimony to the world? In this passage, Paul points to the church being built up in love as a result of growing into Christ and as a body. So here's how we do this. The more you are like Christ, the more you have a heart, the heart of Jesus. And the more you are connected with other saints in the body, the more you will love them. And the more you love them, the more you testify to the love of Christ in us and the way we love one another. Growing in love is last in this passage, but it is not least. Growing in love is the blessing that comes when all these other things are happening. The church leaders equipping the saints. The saints maturing in spirit and in doctrine. The church growing in Christ and as a, as a body. When these things are happening, the most natural result is that the church also grows in love. Learning to drive can be an anxious-filled experience for the student and the teacher. Some of you have already taught all of your drivers in your household to drive. Some of you are still teaching. I've taught two and still have two more to go. For many, it is a rite of passage to get a driver's license. It comes with tremendous freedom and when I was coming up, I recognized that as a, as a, as a goal I very much wanted to, to have. So on my 15th birthday, not the day after, not a week after, and certainly not months after, but on my 15th birthday, I was standing in line at the Georgia State Patrol office ready to take my test and, and get my license. From that moment on, I, I, from the moment I received my, my learner's license, I was behind the wheel anytime and every time my family was in the car. Now I liked that because I liked to drive and I was, I was motivated to get my license and I, so I wanted all the opportunity I could to, to get experience behind the wheel. But, but, but there was a philosophy behind that that wasn't coming from me, it really was coming from my dad. My dad's philosophy of training drivers is that he wanted to have us have as many miles of experience that we could possibly get while he was sitting beside us in the passenger seat. He felt like that as many miles as he could get in, in that moment, that would well prepare us for the days when he wouldn't be beside us in the passenger seat. So the result of that was whether we were driving to church or whether we were driving across town or whether we were on a family vacation driving across the country, even at 15 years old, I was in the driver's seat driving. Now that meant that as I was learning, I made some mistakes. I got myself into some spots that I didn't know how to get out of. I, there's a famous story in my life in a six-lane divided road. I chugged the, the, um, the manual transmission out right in the middle of that intersection and, and under the stress of trying to restart a car and get it back in gear, having to figure that out, that was a learning experience. Driving on the interstate, going through Atlanta as a 15-year-old driver, those were all learning experiences that I had. Didn't always get it right, made some mistakes, but in all those things I was, I was learning. That year I logged many miles with my parents, my dad, my mom beside me in the driver's, in the passenger seat. One year later to the day, I again was standing in line at the Georgia State Patrol office, excited and ready to get my real license. And I did, I went in, 
took the test, passed the test, and after that was over, my parents had driven me there and, or had ridden with me there. And uh, after I got my license and I, I stepped out with my brand new minted driver's license, my parents, we had driven two cars, and I don't remember why we did, but we'd, we had come in two cars. And so after I had my license, my parents looked at me and said, well, enjoy. They got in the car by themselves and left. And there I was standing with keys in my hand, with the driver's license in my hand, an opportunity to drive a car all by myself. Now, if you can remember back to those moments, there's an anxiety that comes the first time you're by yourself. I remember thinking, I'm not even sure I know my way home. I'd driven home thousands of times before. I had ridden home thousands of times before, but this was the first time I would drive myself without anybody in the passenger seat that could say, turn left, turn right. Got in the car, cranked it up, probably made a few wrong turns, but I did make it home safely and, uh, and make it home uh, directly. The year driving with my parents in the passenger seat had been a, a year of equipping. It had been a year of maturing. It had prepared me. And even though in that moment I was anxious, and even in that moment I was unsure of my skill, I was prepared, fully prepared, adequate for the task of operating a vehicle, of driving home. That was the point of the learners season. Friends, the ministry of the church is not a chauffeur ministry where some drive around the many. That's dysfunctional. That's unhealthy. And the church will never be able to rise to its calling and its task. That's how we see the work that we do. The ministry of the church is an equipping and training ministry that each saint might be used of God to bless the church and to reach the world. You've been called in salvation to grow up to adulthood, to mature in your walk with the Lord and your understanding of doctrine. You, You've been called, dear friends, to, uh, to, 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 be, to, to grow up fully, to grow into Christ as a body, in love, that we might be the testimony to the world, but we cannot be the testimony of the world unless the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers are doing the training, the equipping, and teaching, unless the saints are maturing and growing. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King 
and all for the kingdom.